0: Bismillah We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So we are continuing our exploration of silence, still in the foreword. Um, where do we leave off? Uh, second paragraph? Yep, second paragraph. Okay, why don't you read?
1: When I use the word particular, I'm not referring to the fact that Endo was Japanese. In fact, it seems to me that Silence, his greatest novel, and one that has become increasingly precious to me as the years have gone by, is precisely about the particular and the general, and it is finally about the first overwhelming the second.
0: Okay, how do you uh, understand the difference in terms of what he means by the particular and the general? So he mentions it at the end of the first paragraph. There have been many great 20th century novelists drawn to the subject of how do you describe... Christian faith, faith, the crisis of believing, the struggle, and then so he mentions Graham Greene, this other person, other person, and he says from his own particular perspective. So, what do you think? What does he seem to mean by the difference between the particular and the general?
1: It's more
0: of a like personalized yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. So so. One of the things in writing and in art and, uh, and, and such, this applies to movies, is a lot of times people love it when you have a film that is truly your own voice. Okay? Like it's your story, especially if it's a foreign film. right? Because then what happens, what seems to happen, is that the more you make it personal to yourself, the more it really becomes universal. Right? So if we did the Muzafra story, And I really made it really, really personal about things in my life, things in my mind, in my heart and such um, that are very personal in terms of my story. That's what people can connect to, right? As opposed to making it, this is the story of Muslims in America, right? And kind of what we're talking about in terms of when people are struggling with faith, there is the Islam of the person, which is the Islam of that person in their heart, in their actions. Versus what the community is saying it should be, okay, versus what the community is actually doing. And so what often happens is that, as in our community, we live in this imagination in terms of what is the actual condition of the community, right? And, and, And for most people, it's a lot more high and more romantic than what it should be, and for some people, it's a lot lower. But the point is that if we look at what are the people in our society, what are the Muslims in our society wrestling with, okay? There's some serious issues, whether we're talking about faith, whether we're talking about things in the family, whether, whether we're talking about just people mental and disorder. yeah, mental, mental health I'm, and such. Yeah, and so that's the key point. The things that people don't talk about and wind up putting under the rug, right? And so what a person who is going through a struggle of faith needs is, is some very, very sometimes brutal, sometimes gentle, uh, gentle honesty, Right? And so, like, even the, the discussions we were having the other class, the Rumi class, where I raised the question, if, if this is true about Allah, X, Y, Z, then this is true about the Akhirah, right? And these are not things that people at a Jummah Khutbah are ready for. But then, if you're growing up in school here and you're being taught to critically analyze these things, uh, to reconcile all these things with your faith, you really have to go across a lot of those boundaries that, in theory, you're not supposed to go to. Right? And that's what he's doing with this book. You know?
1: yeah I feel like that discussion is like he talks about
0: it yeah yeah, and like we were saying the last time that with Martin Scorsese uh, a lot of his films either openly or very subtly are about his own process of wrestling with faith right. and it's almost like this film if he were to die tomorrow this is like the perfect culmination of, of, of you know, his whole I'm journey through films yeah. yeah okay let's continue
1: Endo himself had great difficulty reconciling his Catholic faith with Japanese culture. So it was not historical research, but his own experience that drew him to the stories of the Portuguese missionaries of the 17th century who were forced to apostatize.
0: Okay, so the couple points here. Endo himself had difficulty reconciling his Catholic faith with Japanese culture. Do you think Muslims uh, growing up in Chicago... Have yeah exactly. That
1: thought crossed my mind when I read that. <laughs> yeah yeah,
0: and <clears throat> that's what starts making something very particular into something very universal. Mm-hmm. You know, because here we are to explore Muslim faith. We're reading a very Catholic book, and I think we'll find a lot of insights that will be very very universal. Even though not only is it a, a Catholic book, it's a Japanese Catholic book. Not only that, it's a historical novel, right? Taking place a few hundred years ago. And yeah, and a point for you to think about. I mean, not immediately, but over the course of the text, what are the different ways that a Muslim has trouble reconciling their Muslim faith with American culture, Right? Mm-hmm. Anything right off the top of your head? What do you think? Yeah, so clothing. Clothing is definitely one of them. Although I suspect what's going to happen is over the next decade, you're going to see that scarf is going to become a fashion item. Not just for Muslims. Uh, I think that's going to happen. Uh, but then... 10 years after that, it's not going to be anymore. Yeah. In the same way that these, these big filly beards have become, have become a fashion item. But it's not just a scarf, it's the meaning of the scarf too. right? That if, if I'm a Muslim woman, whether I wear a scarf, or whether I don't wear a scarf, and how I wear a scarf becomes an automatic statement that people interpret about the nature of my faith. Okay? The nature of my character. What I represent. In a way that I'm, the Muslim man has no clue about. Right? What else? What else do you think are things that a Muslim has trouble reconciling with in, in terms of American culture?
1: we are talking about with what Islam is supposed to be or the way that...
0: So essentially what I'm saying is, okay, I'm, I'm a Muslim growing up in America. Mm-hmm. Where will my Islam be a struggle? The gender relations? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so there's gender norms in our society. And then... There are, you know, prescriptions or assumptions about how Muslims are supposed to interact, and sometimes the two are very, very different. Yeah. What else?
1: Um, maybe like the prayers. I think that would be a big one. Yeah. Well, so? I mean, cause like. It, America is a very fast-paced society. People yes. are busy, and they want like immediate results, uh-huh. and they want immediate gratification, and yeah. sometimes prayer doesn't always give that. Because it's like, yeah. you know, it will be in the Akhara. So maybe anything, yeah. anything that we're told to do.
0: Yeah, so I a lot of, of these prescriptions, and making time for prayer, finding space for prayer, where you can actually focus on the prayer. Uh, I think the biggest one of them all is feeling comfortable in challenging anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm saying that's so buried that we don't even think about it. Right? Like, if we were to demand, make this make sense to me.
1: Oh, you're talking about questioning the Islamic faith?
0: Yeah. Oh. Any aspect of it. That uh, Usually the, the route that people take is they'll just leave the faith yeah. rather than try to explore it. Like, uh, one thing for whatever reason uh, probably in many ways um, helped me in my dean is... I had always regarded the author of the Qur'an to be smarter than me, right? And I think a lot of people don't go through that thought process. A lot of people assume they're smarter than the author of the Qur'an, therefore they assume the dumbest possible interpretation of things. And and I don't know if someone put the thought in my mind or whatever, but I would look at the Qur'an, the author of the Qur'an, as being more intelligent than me, which then means if there's something that didn't make sense, the problem might be more with me than with the text, right? If there is something... That seemed difficult, the problem might be more with me than with the text. And likewise, I always looked at the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as smarter than me. Right? Objectively, now I definitely feel that way, but I'm saying growing up, and I'm saying now having studied him, and I find his mind to be profound, mashallah. But, and some of that also has to do with studying everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, just in my mind, um, I always regarded the Prophet, peace be upon him, as smarter than me, which then meant if there was something that didn't make sense to me, Again, it's probably not him, it's probably me, you know, trying to figure out how to make it make sense, right? But the basic point being that...
1: You said trying to figure out how to make it make sense.
0: Yeah. Meaning, if he's doing something where his choice, I don't understand, yeah. my assumption then is that there is probably some sense there, right? So even my language might be, might be incorrect, not make it make sense, yeah. but to figure out how it does make sense. Right.
1: Yeah, because that made it sound like you're trying to cut the piece yeah. of the puzzle to make it fit. no, puzzle. no,
0: no. So it's basically I'm saying, here's the puzzle piece, yeah. and the fact that it fits is, is or doesn't fit is more it doesn't fit in my brain, right? But it probably fits very well, right? And so for you, me to figure out. Do you
1: think that's an unfair bias to have in approaching it like
0: that? Uh, I think that's the approach a person should have, with just about everything they read, not just the Quran, right. right? That when you're watching, when you're reading a novel, mm-hmm. um, it's, I think it's stronger to assume that your author is more intelligent than you are. Or another way to frame it that might be easier to understand, the author knows the world of the novel better than you know that world. Yeah. Right? And so there is a certain amount of intellectual submission that always takes place, that should take place, Right? And that's with art, that's with movies and such. Yeah. And so I'd say, yeah, that's a bias with pretty much everything that, that uh, you're taking in.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I guess it was just like trying to make it make sense. I guess yeah, that's what that's true. It seemed like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah,
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, let's continue.
1: Okay. Uh, he understood the conflict of faith, the necessity of belief, fighting the voice of experience. What does that mean? The necessity of belief, fighting the voice of experience. Why don't you read the next sentence, see if oh. that helps the voice that always urges the faithful, the questioning faithful to adapt their beliefs to the world they inhabit, their culture.
0: Okay, so what does that seem to say? What do these two sentences seem to be about?
1: Well, okay, so the first one came just to the conflict of faith and the belief fighting the voice of experience. Is that like you need to have belief in order to stand up for, or in order to question?
0: I think even simpler than that. <clears throat> faith is when you're taking something as true, uh-huh. right? Uh, but do your, uh, does your experience show that that is true? Right, so... Let's say over the course of 20 years, I'm making prayers to Allah. And we're always saying Allah merciful, Allah's answering your prayers and such. When I look back at my 20 years, does it seem like that's true? Right. Like, the Islam that I'm being taught, does it seem like in my world, is it true? Okay. And some of that is a fair question, some of that's an unfair question. It's a fair question because it is. It's an unfair question because it is very, very subjective, right? So let's say I grew up in not just suburban Chicago, but a very, very privileged sub- suburban Chicago, and never had to worry about a meal, never had to worry about clothing, never had to worry about education and such. But if I look back at my life, I feel like you know life has been unfair. Okay? Um, that might be subjective, right? But it's still a question that's going to be in me whether I ask it or not, you know. Even though I say Allah's merciful, in my heart do I actually believe He's merciful? Right? You know, and, and so, that's, uh, that's uh, one of the conflicts of faith. Do I feel like it's playing out in my life? Do okay. And then, <clears throat> that voice, you know, of questioning, urges people to then, uh, so when he says, adapt their belief to the world they inhabit, it's kind of like saying... Okay, how do you reconcile it? So what a lot of people say about your dua is that they'll say Allah's only going to answer out of his wisdom, Okay, which I think is a cop-out, okay, because then it gives you an excuse to feel like your duas are not being answered. Okay? But why are people saying it? They're trying to give you an explanation for why it seems like your duas are not being answered. Okay? Me, in my 40s, you know, mashallah, looking back at my life, I keep remembering these moments where I made such and such dua, And then it actually seemed like it got answered. I prayed for this, and then I got that. I just didn't realize it until 20 years later. Right? Uh, But the point is, a lot of times, we will try to give excuses uh, that sound like profound statements. But we'll give excuses for why our Islam is playing out the way it is. So even think of the condition of the Muslim world. You know, from an economic perspective, from a corruption perspective, Muslim-majority countries are almost entirely at the bottom of the list. Like, the worst in terms of economic development, the worst in terms of corruption, okay? Worse in terms of human rights. There are other countries that are really bad. But then the question I raise to students is that, all right, um, the excuse we give is that people are not practicing their Islam, right? And that's why things are so bad. Um, Is that a valid excuse? Because then if we look at people who seem to be practicing Islam all over the world, and you look at their houses, their households, you still might see corruption there. So, what's our explanation? Or we'll give an excuse and say, uh, colonialism came in, wiped us all up, messed us all up. And there's some truth to that, but each succeeding year, that becomes less and less of a valid excuse because colonialism is further and further in history. right? And so a lot of times we don't ask the real tough questions. You know, uh, because a lot of times we're too afraid we're not going to have an answer. those are the questions we have to ask because they're still inside of us even though we don't articulate it or like okay I'm making all my prayers but I'm still not happy okay most people aren't going to say that but somewhere in their mind they're feeling it you know and so these are the things so what we often happen is that we just try to adapt then our Islam to our environment by saying well maybe I'm not praying my prayers right and that could be true right or it could be something else is wrong. Yeah. Or it could be that there's something wrong with the whole package, right? That's the difficult question, because then you're you're technically saying that maybe of no, this is true, right? And so some people, what they do the the way to address it is just to jump out completely, and that I think uh, doesn't really work either. Yeah. Okay, let's continue.
1: Christianity is based on faith if you study its history, you see that it's had to adapt itself over and over again, always with great difficulty, in order that faith might flourish. That's a paradox, and it can be an extremely painful one. On the fact of it, believing and questioning are antithetical. Yet I believe that they go hand in hand.
0: Okay, so a couple things. So you're saying you look at the, the history of Christianity. Mm. Uh, it's always been a challenge to figure out how to fully practice Christianity. And the question is, and by fully practice, there aren't too many laws in Christianity. There, it's basically how do you reconcile what Christianity is saying about reality with what you're seeing as reality. Islam is a bit different. Um, uh, But I don't know if the answer is that it's been easier to practice or not. A lot of people argue it's been very easy to practice Islam throughout history. Uh, But I'd say right now, in Chicago in 2017, it's not easy at all. There's a lot of unanswered questions that no one's trying to answer, right? Um, But then there's this issue, okay, either you have faith or you question. And so people are, uh, some people are of the view is that if you're questioning, then you don't have faith. And he's saying no, they go hand in hand. Keep in mind, he's not a theologian, he's an artist, but his faith is very important to him. Let's continue.
1: One nourishes the other. Questioning may lead to great loneliness, but if it coexists with faith, true faith, abiding faith, it can end in the most joyful sense of communion.
0: So communion in terms of Catholic language versus us would be a little bit different. Communion for them would be essentially finding a oneness with God. And for us, we would probably either call it ikhlas, right? Mm -hmm. Or what we'd call it like, you know. Yaqeen? Yaqeen would be the ideal. But what I'm also including is just satisfaction of the heart. So, you know, so what would it be, like, it? It's minan of the heart, right? Uh, that would be our language. You know, for my heart to be satisfied. Because that's what Ibrahim alayhislam needed, right? You know, he even needed his heart to be satisfied. Okay. And so sometimes you need to have the proper experience or the proper answer. Why
1: do you think that our tradition is like that, like- really unaccepting to questions if it's even in the Quran, like with the story of Ibrahim yeah. and like again and again with Yunus. We're just, people are always, prophets yeah. are always questioning, so why, why yeah. do you think that I mean,
0: angels question? are questioning, right? So I don't think that's our tradition as much as it's our, our modern practice of Islam. What seems to have happened uh, with the rise of colonialism, not blaming it on colonialism, but what seems to happen with the rise of colonialism is that the scholars seem to have taken a route seeing that okay, Islam is about to get wiped out. So let's see if we can salvage whatever we can salvage by, so to speak, putting locks in a number of doors. Okay, Don't talk about this, don't talk about that, don't talk about that, because you're just not ready to for an to answer right now. Okay, And and so um, 200 years later, that's the situation we're in. And so what is what has happened? When we think of... Uh, Or when we think of the biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him. But if you actually read a really old biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, they're very different. When we think of a modern biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him, everything is so wonderful, and the Quraysh is so bad, and this and that. Right? And the Muslims always made the right choices, except for Ohad and such. Um, But uh, if you look at, uh, like, a, a copy of Ibn Ishaq, you know, Seven, you know, uh, what would that be? Thirteen hundred years old. There's a
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect example, right? And then you know what happens is that okay, two hundred years ago that wasn't a worry because these things were not getting published very much. Now everything's getting published, which means everything is open. Okay, that's what the Islamophobes take advantage of by reading everything. We don't read it. They read it all, and then they'll find. Look at this hadith, authentic hadith. Look at that hadith, and then look at what the Prophet did in the sirah book, right? And and so that just shatters our outlook of everything. Okay, and to really, really make the point, the the faith of the vast majority of people in our community rests on only a couple simple points. One is that the Quran is unaltered. Okay, um, but that's easy to shatter. How? That we do believe the Quran is unaltered. But we do believe there are multiple ahruf, not to be confused with qiraat, right? Where the Prophet peace be upon him goes back to Jibreel Salam saying, "I have people who speak Arabic in a different way, and this is hard for them. Give it to me and give me this ayah in a different way." Mm-hmm. And he'd receive this. Then Jabiray Salam would say, "Allah has answered and gives you this ayah with different wording." Okay, and so that's also part of the preserved Quran, although some of that has been lost throughout history, right? And and uh, the point being that. If you tell that to, to a Muslim, even if you take a mushaf that's published in Morocco and the common mushafs we have here, you're going to see some words are going to be different. Even
1: nowadays?
0: Yeah, you're going to see this word will say yot yup or this mushaf will say yot yup that one will say toot Without the diacritics, it's the same word. And if you talk to Arabs, they'll say it's the same word. But an English-language person will say, no, those are two different words. Okay? And so, so the point is, uh, my, uh, uh for the common Muslim, that would shatter their faith too, okay? As well as for the common Sunni, you know, the Sahaba, the Prophet and the Sahaba were always such perfect people that no mistakes and nothing's done wrong. Except for you have Abbas right? And then on top of that, you know, the Sahaba, they always, um, you know, got along with each other. And then you read history and you have the Battle of the Camel. Right, And oh, the Sahaba, what was that that made the Sahaba great? Was their loyalty to the teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Their loyalty to the Prophet himself. Okay. Um, but in out of adab, the way we speak out of adab about our parents, we speak within adab about Allah, we speak within adab about the Prophet, peace be upon him, and we speak within adab about the Sahaba. right? Um, but when you actually look at their stories, we do say that, you know, how much alcohol was there when the final uh, uh, prohibition of alcohol came down? What's the story that we're taught? The streets were flooding. Yeah, the streets were flooding. The streets of Medina were flooding with alcohol. When was that? That was almost at the very end. Like, that's one of the very last ayahs to be revealed. Okay, Which means all the way at the very end, let's say 20 years or 10 years after Hijra there's that much alcohol among the Sahaba. But they weren't doing anything wrong because it wasn't a sin, right? And so uh, the challenge now, one of our challenges now is to almost bring ourselves back to the tradition, you know, because a lot of these doors have been, that were kept locked have been forced to be unlocked because everything's being published and everyone has access to everything, right? And if we don't start figuring out answers to these questions we're going to see a big exodus of people out of Islam. Right. Cool. The other big thing where a lot of people's Islam rests on is Islam and science. right? The Quran talks about the embryo. The Quran has the two C's that you know, didn't meet. Those are all good things, right? But I don't think the Sahaba, Allah, you know, uh, uh, Allah knows best, when, the, uh, when the, the Sahaba saw the ayahs about the nutfa and so forth and so on and the alaq, um, did they read these as formations of, of the embryo? That doesn't seem to be the case, right? Um, the sea, they probably did. Okay, that seems to be a lot more direct. But the point is that that can't be a foundation of your faith. That can help you in your faith, but that can't be a foundation. Okay, um, and still, you're not going to be able to explain, explain miracles, right? And so the way we commonly frame it is to say that the Quran talks about things that it took thirteen hundred years for mankind to find, maybe. But that shouldn't be the foundation of your faith. Okay. Meaning the formation of the embryo seems to match the current scientific analysis of the formation of the embryo, these periods of darkness. Okay. What happens in 100 years if it happens that we have a different understanding of the formation of the embryo? This was a critique. It was called tafsir ilmi in the 1800s where people would try to reconcile Islam with science. And then the criticism they got was that, well, what if science changes? But the point I'm making is that's a foundation for people in their iman. And that's where the problem is. That's where the problem is. I mean, I love those books, right? But that can't be a foundation for my iman. So then the
1: only stable foundation is to open those doors and address those questions? Yep. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's very, very much early on in the Quran. If you have doubt about what we have sent down, then produce a surah. So it's telling you if you have doubt, A, it's a real thing. And then B, go find something. Yeah, or write something that can compete. So then
1: what do you think about people's faith who never question anything?
0: If it's fine for them, then it's fine for them. Right?
1: What if they happen to be born in Christianity and they never questioned anything? Yeah,
0: then Allah is going to treat them fairly on the Day of Judgment.
1: So, like, we just don't understand.
0: Well, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with them. Yeah. Right? But they will be treated fairly. Good. But there are some people who will uh, potentially never feel a need, might sincerely never feel a need to question what they're learning. Right? And there are some people for whom, no, they need more than that. And if you're growing up in a multicultural society, at some point, either you're going to feel a need to question... Or you're going to feel a need to just shut your mind off. Because the risk of questioning might be that everything, like a house of cards, is going to unravel. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's what a lot of people do. Right? I mean, that's uh, the, the right wing. That's a big part of their outlook. Whether we talk about the right wing in Christianity or the right wing in Islam... They tend to be fiercely anti-intellectual, right? And there are some people for whom that route just doesn't work. But that route does work? I'm saying wholeheartedly that route does work, right? That I'm saying Islam is smarter than I am. So I can put in my full brain power and challenge everything and will find answers to my satisfaction, or will find satisfaction of the heart. That's what I'm saying.
1: That's using your intellect, but you said sometimes that's not necessary.
0: Yeah, I'm saying for some people that's not necessary. For me, it is. So when we think of like the common person in the TJs, mm-hmm. the Bli Jamat, right? Uh, m- most of them, you know. Their Islam, in their heart, is satisfied by making their prayers, going to the masjid, you know, going on the short uh, TJ trips and stuff, and their heart is completely satisfied. There are some people for whom that doesn't work at all. Yeah, I know I have to make my prayers.
1: But how does that work? That's what I don't understand. How does that work if they don't, they don't want to think about it? They just want to do it. How does
0: that work? Well, I would say it's not so much that they don't want to think about it, they just don't feel the need. So there's this famous story of this guy. It might have been Fakhruddin Razi, but I'm, I could be wrong. Where he says, <clears throat> um, you know, I have found 10,000 proofs for Allah. Okay. And he's saying this to this old woman. And this old woman says, okay, you only need that if you have 10,000 doubts. Okay? And so think of every one of us has a different mind. And a different set of priorities, and a lot of people in life, uh, you know, or I'll put it like this: some people in life, they can't not find answers for these things. They need to; they have bigger questions, and they need to find bigger answers. That's a small population. Most people, they're satisfied, right? It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them, um, but that's just not how their mind is. They're not aiming as high in terms of the big, the big big questions. Um, their biggest concerns are you know I want to raise my children to be good and I want to have a good life and all that. Other people, that's not you know that appealing for them. You know, like the Prophet peace be him going to the cave, and you can say he's looking for answers, right? You know, Abu Bakr was a very deeply meditative person. So, uh, And, and, you know, Omar, you know, know, he was very, very literate. But there's a reason we don't know the names of most of the Sahabas. Because their goal was make their prayers, you know, serve the Prophet, peace be upon him, worship Allah, things like that. But a lot of the big Sahabas that we're familiar with wasn't just their proximity to the Prophet, peace be upon him, because Omar was not in his proximity until later. Um, But... Because they had to do more. Like they had more himmah. But think of Hamza. You know, we don't hear too much intellectual stuff about Hamza. You know, he was the type of guy who just, his connection to the world, his connection to Allah, was found by going through the forest or going through the desert and hunting and stuff. That's where his aspirations were. Someone like Al Ghazali, his aspirations were to find these super, super particular answers to what for him were the most profound, profound questions. Yeah. And that's that's where his uh, motivation went. So everyone's different, very different types of people. That's one of the blessings of the Sahaba, that they are so varied in their in their styles, personalities, and stuff, that I think it's, uh, for a person searching, it's very, very refreshing. Because the Prophet said, peace be upon him, they're like the stars in the sky, follow any one of them. I am saying that for some people who do feel the need to question, their response is to not, to shut it down. Okay. And that, I think, is unhealthy, especially if they're shutting down the child who's asking those questions. Then that's violence against a child. Your curiosity is a very, very natural thing. Okay, Let's well, okay. well, pass 2 o'clock. So we'll stop here so uh almost made it through the through the paragraph. All right. Subhanak bihamdika nashhadu an ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika nashhadu an ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanak Allahumma bihamdika nashhadu an ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahirabbil alamin.